0: Dr. Brian Cohen is a practicing anesthesiologist and entrepreneur in the digital health space. In 2015, he co-founded Miami Anesthesia Services, a concierge anesthesia company throughout South Florida. Dr. Cohen acts as administrative chief of Miami Anesthesia Services and chief of their management service organization that supports other independent anesthesia practices throughout Florida. He's the co-founder and chief medical officer of AdaptTrack, a medical risk-focused digital platform for clinicians. He's also the co-founder and chief medical officer of CMFI, a platform that acts as an engagement and reward tool for clinicians co-learning with each other and within organizations and on podcasts. Additionally, Dr. Cohen is the specialty medical director for the Preferred Anesthesia and Pain Management Program of AMSRRG, an AMBEST A-rated medical liability company. So this is a wide-ranging conversation, starting with what is a concierge anesthesia practice, why he started an MSO if he has no intention of selling said MSO, and then we move on to the heart of the conversation, which is the digital space. We discuss AdaptTrack, which creates CME-accredited content for physicians that is specialty-specific based on trends in litigation to help us manage risk, and we end up on how you all are going to start getting CME credits for listening to this podcast and reflecting on what you learn via CMFI. Dr. Cohen completed his BAMD at the University of Missouri, Kansas City, and his residency in anesthesia at WashU in St. Louis. Most importantly, Dr. Cohen is married to his college sweetheart, also a practicing physician, and the father of their two amazing daughters.
1: Welcome to the Physician's Guide to Doctoring, a practical guide for practicing physicians. Dr. Bradley Block interviews experts in and out of medicine to find out everything we should have been learning while we were memorizing Krebs cycle. The ideas expressed on this podcast are those of the interviewer and interviewee and do not represent those of their respective employers. And now, here's Dr. Bradley Block.
0: Today's podcast is sponsored by Thermal Custom Packaging. TCP has many different products to help with medical transportation, including their totes and phase change materials, or PCMs. TCP developed a portable blood bank using these phase change materials to maintain the precise temperatures required to store and transport blood. This portable unit allows blood to remain with the patient in the critical hours following surgery, which is especially important with younger, smaller patients. Using TCP's insulated totes and their custom PCMs, they're able to transport blood specimens, biological pharmaceuticals, tissues, organs, vaccines, including the COVID vaccine, as well as allografts, refrigerated, frozen, and ultra-cold as needed. These products are even being used to ensure the safe travels of the COVID vaccines to rural areas. They also have other products such as MedShield and IceBuddy available for retail use, which you can learn more about on their website, which is ThermalCustomPackaging.com. Visit them with the link in the description for more information and follow them on Instagram at thermalcpackaging. Packaging. Dr. Brian Cohen, thanks so much for being on the podcast.
2: Brian, thank you so much. You know, a uh, longtime listener, first time caller, been watching you since 1993 um you know you and delilah my top two shows so super excited to be here
0: appreciate that appreciate that that um yeah no the date seems right i ju- had just finished middle school
2: <laughs> right exactly
0: <laughs> my I think my bar mitzvah my bar mitzvah was that year so um so your so your your bio state i'm going to start with a question that that i hadn't listed your bio it's not really a question it's more more a comment. your bio states that you're the father of two amazing daughters which yes. makes me feel really. A little badly about how i describe my my boys on the show like two of them <laughs> routinely bite their name bite their toenails they bite their toenails so you know I, I now i need to come up with a better adjective when when i'm describing them I, I'm yeah sure it'll be amazing eventually
2: yeah, I, as fathers we all know that everything goes in phases and um i think the to completely stereotype gender and raising boys versus girls. I am entering my, my girls are nine and 11. So I've had that wonderful, you know, opening stage of life and I'm about to hit it, man. (laughs) So everything that you've dealt with for the first nine to 11 years, I'm about to get with, uh, with a vengeance for the next, you know, five to six. So
0: good, Uh, good luck to you, sir. Good luck. Yes. Thank
2: you. you. (laughs) Thank you.
0: Okay, so um, before we get to AdaptTrack and CMEFI, which are going to be the main topics of the discussion, um, what's a concierge anesthesia company? What, what is that? What's concierge anesthesia?
2: It's funny you ask me that because that's been the way we've described our anesthesia practice for the past seven years. And I think you're the first person to actually ask me what is a concierge anesthesia practice. The answer is pretty simple. It's it's probably what an anesthesia practice should be everywhere. Um, okay. What what we saw in South Florida, the anesthesia world became very corporate very early on. You know, as everything in different specialties and healthcare sort of goes in that ebb and flow over a ten year period from private group to hospital group to you know large corporations. Um, South Florida anesthesia was the birthplace of. Sheridan, which became Envision and Medinax and USAP, they were all headquartered here in South Florida. What that did in our eyes was um, take away some of that personal touch that exists in medicine. And because of a 100% employee based model, you know, there was a little bit of that, you lost a little bit of that incentive to just go above and beyond. And so when we ventured out to start our own anesthesia company, it wasn't like we were revolutionizing what we wanted to do as far as patient care and surgeon relationships and administrative relationships with our facilities. It was literally what should have still been done everywhere, but we felt like it was lost a little bit. Um, so concierge became you know really just taking it back to everything it should be, very high touch, um, when you have ownership in what you're doing and i think this has followed through with with everything i've done is i'm a huge fan of being incentivized in the right direction with all parties um when we had ownership and skin in the game with our anesthesia company it wasn't like we could go to a surgery center and do one case as opposed to 100 cases and make the same amount of money if i was employed i could go and i could do any amount of cases i wanted it didn't matter i was going home on the same paycheck So when we started our company, when we went seven months without a paycheck, uh, when we were starting up the hospital, I guarantee you every potential case I, we had, I remember one case from, uh, uh, it was a uh, foot and ankle case from, from Guatemala. And I got on the phone with the patient's cardiologist in Guatemala to talk about cardiac clearance, because I was not going to let this patient leave without getting what he had to get done. And Again, that was a little bit because it was the right thing to do. It was a little bit because everyone's incentivized to perform as opposed to push things off. Um, and that's really when we set that as our culture um, and made sure everybody who was joining us and everybody we were partnering with you know, felt, believed, performed the same way. That's what's allowed us to survive down here in what we call kind of the belly of the beast of these large corporate companies where we are the ones that actually are are still incentivized to to perform at that level that we think is is you know whatever you want to call concierge
0: so maybe boutique a boutique anesthesia uh firm or company or practice practice yeah yeah like it high mean, touch you know it's 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 small boutique but you might not want to call it boutique cuz then that seems a little uh maybe trite or yeah i mean i, I think also customer in medicine, service
2: yeah, no, I agree. And, and I don't know what the magic word is, but I, I do know that, I mean, as, as we've grown in healthcare and as we've become, um, when you look into large health systems and between specialties and, and um, just having the consults or you know working a patient up towards surgery um, and that path between preoperative assessment, maybe the internal medicine clearance, the consult to the cardiologist. And when they make it to the anesthesiologist and the surgeon, we're, we oftentimes lose that personal one-on-one conversation that actually, from a risk point of view, makes a huge difference. From a patient care point of view, makes a difference. And I know when we go in, for example, with an ENT surgeon or any surgeon, when we have that conversation one-on-one, it it's important. Um, and when you move outside of that kind of high touch, whether it's between myself and the patient or myself and you, you know, it's you're losing an aspect of medicine that's still pretty important to have. And and um, you know. Half of our healthcare system has moved in the direction of of an employed model, and half hasn't. And there's pluses and minuses to to everyone. And it's about you know finding what's right where where you are and, and making the best of it.
0: Well, you're speaking to the choir here, right? Because I have a podcast that ha- like a third of the episodes are about communicating with patients, um, and communicating with colleagues, mostly patients. So yeah, I I, I get what you're saying. It's it sounds like it's even a even a patient safety issue, like you're motivated to have more communication with the patient, have more communication with the surgeon, and that can only lead to better outcomes.
2: Yeah, absolutely.
0: So you're the chief of the MSO. So anytime I've ever heard about an MSO, it's been as a way to take the management out of the practice so that it can then be bundled and say sold to private equity or sold to a another healthcare management company, uh, you know, as a way to simplify outsourcing. So what you told me before the show that that's not really the case with you guys.
2: Yeah. You know, I'll, I'll sort of tell you the path that took us even to forming an MSO that we didn't even know, you know, I had to Google, you know, the three letters before we decided what we were even doing. And. I think it all stems back to when, when we decided to actually go out on our own and form the anesthesia company. We were under the assumption that this is something like people do all the time. Like there's a playbook, kind of like when you have a baby. We, we get that playbook when the baby's born, right? It tells you how to parent. Uh, much of the same manner, there is no playbook for starting an anesthesia company. But then we figured at least there's, there's people out there who can kind of point us in the right direction. Um, you know, Going in network with payers, Uh, just the logistics of the of the everyday back office flow and again we were kind of finding that you know there's billing companies there's billing and management companies but when you're starting off in a small scale they're not really touching you with with the level of service you need to actually get off the ground and and survive and say okay i'm ready to actually do a case at a at a facility and bill for it and collect Um, our first you know year of practice we sort of just fumbled through that until we found the right um the right formulas we leaned on mentors we leaned on um people in the industry but it was really just kind of putting those pieces together in order to form what what we had in the process i don't think we were truly aware of some of the other important factors that were lining up for us that would be important for long-term um success and life of a group, as opposed to just that pure survival treading water moment that we always felt like we were in. And that was the process of getting in network with with payers. Um, when we started our company, again, we were four anesthesiologists had done zero cases as a company, um, had zero history as a company and never built a case. So to go and say, Hey, United Healthcare, you know, my name's Brian, I've got a company, Miami anesthesia services, what's our contracted rate? They don't answer the phone, let alone have that conversation with you. So it's a very. There are a lot of rate limiting steps in order to go towards that network process. What en- what ended up happening with us is we were starting our group right at the same time we were participating in the startup of a, a physician owned surgical hospital in Miami. So for good or bad, that hospital had to go and network with every payer uh, as well. And we literally said, OK, Cigna coming today. Okay, thank you. And we'd go and knock on the door of the boardroom and say, hey, Brian Cohen, nice to meet you. Miami Anesthesia Services, we're gonna be providing services here. We'd love to you know, speak with you as well about getting a contract. And lo and behold, over that first 12 to 15 months, every time the hospital went in network with a payer, we followed them. Again, not truly appreciating what that was doing for us. We were just, it was pure survival at the time. But what we found After kind of that initial 12 to 15 month period is, you know, we've got kind of buddies out there in the anesthesia world and and they'd say, hey, you know, we saw you guys started a group. We have an opportunity at this surgery center, for example, and the surgeons want us to provide service there, but we don't have a company. Um, Well, it's easy to form a company. You go online and you get a name and your tax ID, but the hard part becomes everything I was mentioning before, that kind of that back office part of it. So what we ended up doing is, you know, taking all of the legal documents, um, all of the even day to day documents, or records, contracts to give to your employees, um, policies and protocols, and putting that together and really creating a you know anesthesia company in a box and allowing um, other independent groups to partner in with us to take advantage of what we had suffered through for the first fifteen months of our existence and. Um, you know, it's, it's been very rewarding because, again, you see yourself and a lot of these other other people that are out there doing what they think is really the right thing in the right way. Um, you become very uh, intentional and very picky about who you partner with in this because they also become an extension, you know, of you in a way, um, and we've, you know, we've really found some very strong relationships that's allowed us to grow with some of these other independent groups and it's been a way to, I mean, again in medicine, if I sat there and, and did, you know, anesthesia all day, and that's all our company did, you know, you become somewhat limited in 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 your growth pattern. Um, so this was another way, sort of, for us to grow and expand our footprint. Um, you mentioned with what the typical endpoint or end game is when you go this route, and you know, we're we're in a funny place. The whole reason we started what we started was because we were the anti that Um, we wanted to get away from the mentality of kind of that clock in clock, clock out, you know, approach to medicine and not that that's what every situation is when you're going down that pathway. However,
0: you've now built something that they want, right? You
2: have, you have. And, and the key I think that we will always have is trying to hold on to a piece of that as well. Um, Again, I think if we are not incentivized in some way or form, then the wheels fall off the bus. Um, There's, that's why I think PE companies have sort of shifted into that model of what they have now, as opposed to just in the anesthesia world, take the Envision model or Mednex, which is now doesn't exist anymore, probably because of that, where they buy you out 100%. I have zero skin in the game. Um, US anesthesia partners started allowing physician owners to hold equity after purchase other pe companies sort of now have you know obviously that follow that that path where you leave some equity in your group and you leave some skin in the game is that what we're after honestly but my partners we all have young kids we're we're young families we're in the middle of our careers in our mid-40s um what we like about what we're doing right now is we have control over what we're doing we get to partner with who we want to partner with meaning um, saying no to surgery centers that we don't believe that things are being done in the right way or is a good fit with our culture, um, bringing on the employees that we think are a good fit with our culture and having the freedom of our day-to-day um, really scheduling in life and finding that kind of work-life balance. Um, is it worth you know, getting getting a check to give all that up? We've decided no right now. And I think the answer is going to be no for for a while because that's what's important to us right now.
0: One of the causes of physician burnout is lack of autonomy, and so once you once you sell, you give up a piece, if not all of that autonomy. Maybe you have a percentage in name, but you know you still can be told what to do. And so you guys are are protecting against that by owning the company and managing the company.
2: Yeah, I and mean, it's really it's really interesting because i've I've been a, I've been in almost every different practice scenario. I've been. When I came out of residency, I joined um a private group that ironically they became one of the first groups that joined USAP down the road. Um, when I when I was with that group for the year while my wife was finishing her residency, these guys were amazing. They were they were what I thought every partnership group in the country was. I mean, they had each other's back, they were they were business savvy, they were amazing clinical care, they were everything that that you know we should be. Um I'm like, okay, well, this is. Anesthesia is great. (laughs) This is going to be nice. And then I came to Florida and I joined another private practice. And I mean, I can openly say it was the exact opposite of that. Um, And that group ended up selling to Mednax. I was the next in line to become a partner in that group for five and a half years. So they were never taking new partners. And I had that, I got to feel what it felt like when you were on the outside looking in and watch that transformation of what happened to the, the style of work and the style of the group when that when that switch happened. Um, and then I, I stayed in that group for another three years. And that's when then I came out and, and started my own group. And, and over these settings and over the years, you know, and I've talked to not just people in the anesthesia world, but, you know, other specialties as well. My brother's a retina surgeon. He just went through, um, a, you know, a deal with a PE company and every single group has their own unique factors i mean and so you know i kind of said i just told you kind of where where our heads are at that's just us you know and that's that's just where we are and i don't know that there's a right or wrong or anything right now i just know that every group is so unique and where it gets really interesting is when you have the guys who are at the tail end of their careers and you have the guys at the beginning of their careers and you have those in the middle and you're going to come to a decision those are those are scary conversations, because I don't know that everybody can win, um, you know, in those in those conversations, um, because just, my
0: practice. <laughs> yeah,
2: it's just it's hard. It's really yeah. hard. It's um, so where we are at. I'm 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 lucky that I found two partners and we found each other. Um, we didn't really know each other going into this, which is amazing um, where our priorities align. And I think that's super important when when you're looking to join groups or looking to stay in groups or anything like that.
0: Well, somehow within building this practice, being the chief of the MSO of the practice, you also managed to build a and be a partner in a digital health company. So <laughs> pretty amazing. So let's talk about, I think, the evolution, right, Correct me if I'm wrong, is Adapt Track and then CMFI. So it would make sense to talk Correct. about Adapt Track first.
2: Yeah, no, oh, you're absolutely right. Um, go actually going back to the beauty of having very good partners in anything you're doing is even though I was acting on the admin side and the clinical side, and we had our own group anesthesia company, and, and um I mean loved every second of it. I still had an itch to kind of, uh, I don't know, look around, I I had been in that employed model for so long, I didn't know what existed, you know, outside of the hospital that I had been at for the past eight and a half years. Um, And I started to sort of see what physicians, you know, where our minds could be offered throughout, you know, the rest of uh, whether it's the rest of healthcare or, or business or just other opportunities. And I had been I had not really looked outside of that because I existed in that bubble you know at the time. So once I got outside that bubble, um, you know the first thing I said yes to was uh, a medical malpractice company uh, that's executive branches based up here in Fort Lauderdale called AMS. And they asked if I'd be their specialty medical director for anesthesia and pain management. And so I actually started doing that right around the same time we started our anesthesia company. And it was, you know, something that required, you know, a couple hours a week at first. But as I started getting into it more and more, I, I started wanting to do more and more with it, where I said, you know what, I'd like to dedicate a day a week to this. And my partners, we figured out how that would happen. And, and it not only did it allow me to sort of look at what I was doing with my anesthesia company and and the clinical side in a a little bit of a different manner, meaning from a risk point of view. Um, But it also showed me that, God, man, I don't know, being, being in the OR five days a week and at the grind maybe isn't for me. And maybe I am finding a little bit of balance out here and maybe this is good. Again, my partners could have easily said no to that. So every day I'm thankful that we have the relationship that we do and they let me kind of play around in this world and um my experience in the medical malpractice company led me to the introduction to two other partners um which was really the birth of adapt and what what happened was you know in in medical malpractice i started to see risk and how risk was there were trends in what was happening meaning if i looked at malpractice cases you know There is the same top five that are happening in this specialty over and over and over. So now I can go back and I know those top five and I can tell my partners and my employees, hey, we need to be careful of this, 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 and this, because this typically will lead to a lawsuit and a poor outcome. Okay, great. I just shared that, you know, what we would call blind spot with my own group. And now we're better because of it. So,
0: So you didn't just push those cases on them. Man, that would have that would have been so much easier. Brad. You know so what guys, I'm just I'm not going to be yeah. here on Tuesday. Remember, I'm sorry. Yeah, we, not going to work. <laughs> yeah.
2: <laughs> when we all share the malpractice policy, you know, it becomes harder. But um but again, I was fortunate enough then to meet um Naraj Swami, who was brought in uh really by mutual friends of the CEO of one company and the medical malpractice company, and Naraj was Already, you know, spent some time looking at um, using technology to, to change behavior for the better. So, when I saw what he could do from a technology side, and when he listened to what we were looking at from a medical risk side, you know, we said we're doing something together. Um, the next question became, you know, well, what are we do- <laughs> What are we doing? Um, I had never really ventured into this digital health world or tech or or um, or anything, but I had I had started to appreciate the ability to problem solve from a product standpoint and from a from a flow standpoint, um, coming from the startup of the anesthesia company and the startup of the hospital. And what we found, and this was, This was 2018, leading into 2019. Um, There were a ton of apps out there. There were a ton of tools in healthcare, obviously, but there weren't that many for physicians. But there was all these tools for patients, tracking your diabetes, you know, uh, better habits. There are all these apps for EHRs and health systems and hospitals, but there weren't that many that were there to actually benefit a physician, or the clinician, or anybody that was out there mm-hmm. doing that's the around
0: the time that my podcast started, and there were not okay. that many. At the now, there's a ton, and as I've said before, I don't appreciate the competition, but like <laughs> at you know at that time, there were not that many that were geared towards physicians. Everything was patient right. facing because that's the yeah. biggest audience, right? But
2: back in '93,
0: yeah, there's, right? There's value. Back in '93, yeah. yeah. Back Tell when me about the, it. I know. yes.
2: <laughs> so my
0: Commodore 64,
2: that's right. So that really became my focus and my job within AdaptTrack was we're doing something that's benefiting us. Um, and Sorry,
0: sorry. Could you elaborate? What is AdaptTrack? Tell the audience. So,
2: so what we ended up creating was, was a digital risk awareness tool. So taking what, what Niraj was doing with human behavior and technology and taking what we were seeing with risk. We thought there was a way to essentially present micro learnings to physicians in a way that essentially presents them the blind spots that exist in practice, where they become more aware of that and over time change their habits and behaviors in a less risky way. Now, that doesn't just happen. We don't just log on and read stuff for the, you know, for the good of our people. We have to be tied to an incentive. What happened was that incentive became conceding medical education credits for us. Um, so now we had an incentive out there for physicians to engage. And the next challenge became, how do we want to engage? You know, I don't want to sit and read 50 PowerPoint slides. I don't want to sit and read three pages. I don't want to sit and read literally a paragraph. Like, I want like three sentences. Tell me, tell me how not to get sued on this case and let me move on with my day. And give me that CME credit for doing it.
0: I don't even and, want to read their sentences. I just want my eyes to be closed and someone to whisper in my ear. That's
2: and it. we did that too. So we did audio, we did video, uh, we did you know text-based. You could speak it, you could text it, you could write it, you could listen to it, you could call on your phone, and essentially on your ride home, you could listen to your risks and reflect on how um, those risks will apply to your day to day, and you earned your credits.
0: Okay, so these are so- specialty-specific, like specialty-specific courses. So what you guys do is because i apologize i'm not quite understanding Mm -hmm. is you go through the trends of medical malpractice these are the things that people are getting sued for in your field right now this is what you need to know and then in order to get the credits you need to reflect on that and what reflect on that means we're going to get into in more detail in a little bit exactly that's
2: exactly right and the way um the way we we bring it into specialty specificity is through the npi number um and again it was a refinement process over the first few years to figure out a tool that number one, benefits the people in the middle that are doing the doing the clinical uh, cases and work. And number two, get it to them in a way that is how we want to engage and absorb this information. Um, we didn't wanna give anybody one more thing to do. Um, and over time, AdaptTrack has become more and more Purely risk focused, um, it was it was able to bring in risk out of three categories: clinical, administrative, and personal. Personal centered around burnout. Administrative was documentation risk, and clinical is just what it sounds like. And now that has really bucketed itself over to the side in a in a risk category that um, malpractice companies you know appreciate and use. Um, and it also became, you know, really the birthplace of CMFI. Um
0: so that sounds like hey we're creating all of this content for people to consume and get credits for but wait other people like this Brad Block guy is out there also making amazing content and we can use those and and they can do the same thing to get CME credits for their listeners yeah
2: so I we mean, don't just need to, you guys
0: don't need to be the content producers anymore you just be the platform correct that- we use
2: correct and it became less about content and this is where this is where we kind of have to shift out of what we're used to in in the cme world and in the learning world and i'll I'll take one step back and what really triggered you know that transition from the pure adapt track user experience as a web-based application to cmfi was the pandemic (laughs) and clubhouse blew up during the pandemic is Clubhouse, Clubhouse still a was, thing? I don't think so. I don't know. <laughs> yes, it is. Yes, it is. But I haven't been on in a while. But at the peak, it was amazing. It was thousands of people on a 100% audio-based app where you were listening and learning with each other. And being in the healthcare world, you could easily delve into that healthcare space within within Clubhouse. And we logged on there and we said, oh, my God, there's a of nurse practitioners in this one room talking about this one clinical case and learning together. Why aren't they getting credit for this? And the challenge then was, how do we bring that previous experience into things that are already happening, into learning moments that are already taking place? And that's when CMFI, which is purely a technology tool, brings CME content into the moments that matter to us that we're already having. And the, the premise is what we realize is physicians, we, we are learning all day, every day. Every conversation we have, we're learning something. The setting in which we're learning it is not we're not forced to be in the traditional classroom anymore in order to learn something.
0: So I Your get that we're we're consuming content in all different places, right? What I don't understand, because the, the AMA is the one who regulates what get CME credit and what doesn't get CME credit. So what is it like, what is it that they've decided gets credit? Because it's not right. Listening to my podcast is not what gets credit. It's this reflection that you guys keep talking about. And so was that something that you had like discussed with someone at the AMA and said, (laughs) you know what, we're going to create this new way to decide that someone's learned something or was this already present somewhere in their decision making for what qualifies as credit and you guys just like extracted it
2: sure well so with the ama i mean you have internet point of care credits and um that's what cmfi brings in um CMFI brings in cme content um and allows you to reflect on how that applies to you in your day-to-day and that's what generates the credit internet point of care credits have been around that's what up-to-date is that's what doximity is i don't necessarily need to live in my ehr where up-to-date is i don't necessarily need to only learn from an article one of my friends wrote in on doximity i can learn elsewhere i can do searches elsewhere i can I can engage with learning moments anywhere, and I am
0: appreciated. So but but sorry, I uh, mm-hmm. just because we're we're like running a little short of time, so I'm trying to like get get what CMFI is all about. And so let's like let's use what our discussion about say the MSO as an example. Like if you were going to create a CMFI moment for this episode and wanted to use the MSO, what would I do?
2: So. What we did with CMFI was built this technology tool that essentially allows, let's say you as the podcaster, right? You as the host, and you have your host account. Everything sort of lives with a link. So you have your hosts and you have your learners. Your learners are your listeners, right? They're listening and learning from from you and your podcast about the MSO and our discussion. They need to access this link in order to click on it, engage with this, piece of content that has been CME accredited and reflect on it. And by reflecting, you're prompted to do two things now. You're, you're prompted to reflect what did you learn and what are you gonna do with it? How are you gonna apply it? You're reflecting in and you're reflecting on. Those reflections and that entire process is what generates a half accredited CME each. So for you as a host, if you, on this podcast, you're gonna have a link, a CMFI link any listener can click on that link after they've listened to your podcast and they can reflect on what they learned. They can apply it to them. They can apply it forward to their peers, their colleagues. And that, those reflections are gonna each generate a half accredited CME. Those reflections are also going to live in their learning journal forever. So they can go back and see what they've engaged with and what their thoughts were on it, how they plan to apply it. That learning journal is also where they claim their certificate print their transcript, do anything they need to do. In addition, those reflections that they leave can anonymously come back to you as a host. So now you, as a host, you say, okay, I've got 40,000 listeners to this episode, right, Brent? And (laughs) and 39,950 just clicked on that link because they felt like they really learned something from engaging with this and they're going to apply it to themselves. And apply it with their peers, and talk about how, you know, they they can use this, and they generate these reflections. Now, you as a host, to get back thirty nine thousand nine hundred and fifty reflections, that's a lot of information, and that's a lot of data anonymously, but that's an ama- you get amazing insights as to what your learners, your peers, your colleagues, your listeners actually care about, yeah, yeah. how they're going to use your information, and that's where this tool starts going from, really, this peer to peer clinician to clinician tool to all the way up to the industry side of health systems, um, uh, organizations, entities that really are challenged right now on two things. They're challenged to get engagement from their clinicians um, and they're challenged to really know what the hell is going through their heads. So, you know, say I'm the head of a 5000 person specialty group and I've got a new policy to push out. Um, I can send an email. Did anyone read it? I don't know. Do they care about it? I don't know. Do they agree or disagree? No idea. I can send that, I can attach a CMFI link. I can now track whether or not they engage with it. I can entice them as a currency of engagement with the CME. Now they're more likely to actually engage with the email, read it, because by reflecting on it, they're going to be able to earn credit.
0: Well, reflections... sorry, the reflection. Mm-hmm? Yeah, the reflections. That seems something that's pretty easy to game the system, right? Like, like you know, Mm -hmm. what did you learn about MSOs? And how does it apply to your practice? And their answer might be, I need to eat more sandwiches. Right. And so what's to stop them from doing and then getting CME credit for that. That being said, just to compare it to the current system, you can also sleep through grand rounds and still get credit for it. So it's not like someone's vetting all of our CMEs here.
2: Yeah. So you're spot on with both of those comments. So How do we police against it? Number one, we really haven't had to, and I'll give you some numbers that explain why. Um, Number two, we do have AI built in that essentially says, literally, if you say I need more sandwiches or I like chicken Parmesan, it's gonna say you need to leave something meaningful in order to earn credit. Um, There is a word minimum, but it's, I think we're at eight words or nine words. Um,
1: But amazingly,
2: we've have over 25,000 reflections now the average reflection is 21 words long. So what we've seen, and I think this, this is part of it that makes me super proud about you, me, and the rest of us out there practicing medicine, is when you present something to us that's already a benefit to us, we're not there to knock it down and to game it. This is something that's presented in such an easy way. And think about it. Everything is opt-in. I, I, could, I could listen to your podcast. I don't have to click on a link and get credit. I'm only doing that if I want to. If I opt in to do it, that means I'm engaged and I'm there for a purpose. And when people go there for a purpose, people are leaving some pretty incredible stuff. And uh, again, 25,000 reflections in, we've, I could count probably on one hand how many that said, you know, like, cool or something and got kicked back. Now, that being said what what you also mentioned is totally true and what we found is most of these tools out there you sit through an hour-long lecture they ask you how was the room was it too cold was your turkey sandwich good um you know check this box that doesn't tell me anything and that doesn't you know what we really and, and, I, and to be honest with you when we started with adapt track and when we started with this type of reflection model we had three options to give as a response you could check um this was great i plan to apply this to my day-to-day um, this is useful, but it's not useful for me, or I don't plan to apply this, and then free text. And over 90% of the people free text, and we got rid of the boxes. Um, so it's been, it's been something where, again, this day and age, it's a very natural response for us to click and type. Um, you know, most people are doing it on their phones, over, over 90% of people are, are doing these reflections on their mobile devices. And it's literally like you know, like texting themselves, and it's living in their journal. There are barriers up to to prevent the gaming of the system, but amazingly enough, they don't even really need to be there.
0: Awesome, awesome. So, it you guys, you can apply this to the um, individual uh, content creator, right? Like myself, I can sign up for a CMFI. There's a, and it's it's really low cost. Um, you can sign up as a big practice. So, I'm actually a partner in a huge ENT practice. We, when we start doing in-person lectures again, or even not necessarily in-person lectures, we're putting information out there. We can make ways for our uh clinicians, our physicians to get CME credit for what we're trying to trying to teach them. Sounds like there's a lot out there for, for me, which means that there's also a lot out there for my uh for the listeners as well. And physician coaches, common thing for their them to give CME credits to their clients. Um, so you really have all of the all of my listenership covered in terms of application and so if you you know i i i can't see not having this on my podcast i'm currently moving and shaking with a lot of different moving pieces on it but once i get things settled i, I can't see not including cmefi here so keep listening and you'll be able to get <laughs> cme credits for these episodes
2: yeah and what you know one of the things we we push really hard on is is the messaging around this and again i think you you've a lot of the questions you had explain exactly why we need to concentrate on messaging for this and and what I say what I mean when I say that is no one's earning credit for listening to your podcast no one's earning credit for even attending a summit lecture that has CMFI. no one's atten- no one's earning credit for um, going to that you know M&;m round that's CMFI. you're earning credit for reflecting on how it applies to you by attending that summit, by listening to your podcast, by going to that M M&M, and M, what you're doing is you're gaining access to the opportunity to reflect and earn credit. So again, our our job becomes making it ridiculously easy for the host to pump out links and attach them wherever the, their, their learners and listeners and colleagues are, and ridiculously easy for the learners to click on that link, reflect and earn their credit and manage it from that end. And um, we actually. It's, uh, what is it, Wednesday Wednesday evening here. We are at live pushing out probably our largest ever update um, where it's a completely new user experience um, from the learner side and from the host side. Taking some of those things that we've learned from our users, from our hosts, and some of the suggestions and some of the tweaks um, over the past you know five to six months and putting it into a new update here. So um, what this is going to do is really put the, Bonus on the post to bring the learners to that space in that context um, and then on the learner to reflect and apply it to themselves we're not we don't accredit the content we just bring you to the context and we let you engage with the concepts and reflect on them and earn
0: so is there a limit to what we can cover right so some of my episodes not many are clinical most of them are apply specifically to the physician but you know i might have an episode soon where i talk about opening your first airbnb right yeah like or like you know jim dolly the white coat investor had a whole summit and some of his stuff might be medical but a lot of it is like why you should invest in index funds so like what's the the limit here on what we can cmify
2: yeah i mean it's that's something we've been working very closely with with our cme partners that's something that traditionally the CME world gets, I mean, like starts to shake when you hear things like that. Um, and again, to give, you, to give you the honest answer, yeah, you could, because again, we're not, we're not accrediting the content, we're accrediting the learning moment that's brought to it with the learner. However, um, the onus is on the learner to apply that to them in their clinical practice. Um, if they can do that in a way that's you know beneficial to them and relevant, then they can earn credit. Um, we're 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 trying to respect you know some of those lines and in a way that you know again CMFI is simply a digital platform a technology tool that brings the learner to that moment. Um, there so don't are abuse a lot it. of concepts don't there, abuse yeah, it or will like my kids that, right uh, back to
0: go, it circles back to the beginning with the kids um if you keep on hitting <laughs> your brother with it i'm gonna take it away you're gonna lose the this is why we can't have nice stuff so right don't abuse <laughs> yes. the system that you guys have helped to build that can really benefit us and make our lives easier in so many ways or we're gonna lose it so you know be a good community member
2: yeah i think that's exactly right
0: all right. So where can we find you? Where do we find Dr. Brian Cohn? Where do we find Track and CMFI?
2: So uh, you can find me in the OR. Go search around. <laughs> I'm pushing, pushing purple <laughs> ball usually. Um, uh, email brian at cmfi.com. Um, we are on LinkedIn quite a bit. Um, uh, so that's the CMFI page. Um, again, my own personal LinkedIn account. Um, Twitter and Instagram bd Cohen, the number eight. Um, And, you know, honestly, your listeners are the people that are finding benefit in this. Um, We want to engage with them, we want to talk with them, we make sure they understand the whys and the hows, they can reach out to me by by email, any way that was listed. Um, And we we one of the most efficient ways is we have open demo sessions, um, twice a week where anyone can sign up, come in, see the platform, see how it works, um, and uh, really get, get signed up right there. So, Great. we look forward so, to seeing you guys.
0: Thank you, and thanks for allowing my listeners in the upcoming weeks to get CME credit
1: for for the content here. Thanks so much you for your got time. It. Thank you, Brett. That was Dr. Bradley Block at The Physician's Guide to Doctoring. He can be found at physiciansguidetodoctoring.com or wherever you get your podcasts. If you have a question for a previous guest or have an idea for a future episode, send a comment on the webpage. Also, please be sure to leave a five-star review on your preferred podcast platform. We'll see you next time on The Physician's Guide to Doctoring.